Welcome in to the Level Heads Podcast. I am Zane Ellis with Collective Build Company. I am Mike Connolly from Greenside Design Build. I am Jamie Verdura from Verdura Construction. Tonight we have uh, the most interesting man in the world uh, who owns a business building high, high end luxury uh, cabinets and game rooms, uh, art rooms. and really rooms and garages that showcase, uh, I guess, the finer things in life, right? Yes, yeah, definitely. Uh, he also yeah. owns a boot company that's 125 years old, uh, and really this guy is all about craftsmanship, all about doing things the right way. Uh, we talked to him about how he got here. We talked to him about SOPs, Standard Operating Procedures, of how he runs his business, we talked to him about his own business and where it's gone, his new business about where it's going. His name is Joe Julian of Julian and & Sons and of Russell's Moccasins. So come on in and check it out. And as always, a big shout-out and thanks to Anderson Windows, sponsor of this podcast. Three of us are Ed Anderson customers, longtime customers. We put them in all our houses. We definitely encourage all you listeners to check out Anderson with an E, Anderson Windows. All right. Well, let's jump into it. Uh, Joe Julian is who we have with Julian and Sons. Um, who Joe is into all kinds of things right now. Um, Joe is into some moccasin making. Is that right? Yes. Uh, yeah. So last October, uh, I bought... Uh, Russell Moccasin Company. Uh, they've been in business for 124 years then, 125 years now. And uh, so a partner and I bought that last October and we've been uh, trying to clean up a lot of things, processes, procedures, machines, everything from, uh, you know, from a very old company. So that's, that's taking quite a bit of my time. Uh, not not the majority, but it's definitely adding yeah. to my moccasins plate. as in so, like so, shoes, slippers. Yeah. So, so, um, you hear the word moccasin and you immediately, you know, just think of, uh, certain styles of, of shoes or boots that have been worn throughout history. But this is a, this is a company that, uh, has been making the same shoes and boots since 1898 built the same way uh a double moccasin construction which is nobody else is doing it today there's there's a lot of mock moccasins (laughs) uh there's a lot of other things out there so that uh it's a complete different different um than maybe it sounds that we make hunting boots uh we make dress shoes we make loafers uh, but it's all still based on that, on that, that lasted moccasin system. So it's, it's very interesting. So before I go deeper and, into this wormhole, introduce yourself first, tell us who you are. Cause I think you're a cabinet maker, but now you're telling me you, you make moccasins. Okay. So <laughs> the two are very okay. closely related. Yeah. So, and, and I can segue that in later as far as how that happened and why I think it's congruent. But, uh, so my name is Joe Julian. Uh, my company is Julian and sons. We've been in business since 1985. Uh, it was a family business with my father and my brothers and myself. Uh, my dad passed about four years ago and I bought my brother out and now I'm the sole owner of the company. 
Uh, we specialize in creating environments for people. So we are woodworkers and cabinet makers by trade. Um, but uh, the majority of our work is specialized in, in settings or areas where we come in and complete an entire environment uh, that includes all the, the woodworking and cabinetry as well. So there's, there's a little bit more to it than a cabinet maker, um, but that's definitely my roots. Uh, started sanding wood when I was four years old, you know, did not like it, did not like going to the shop and cleaning the shop every day after work or after school. Uh, I never saw a summer vacation or a, a Christmas break that I wasn't at the shop working. Uh, so, you know, just by, by heart, uh, I am a, I'm a hillbilly woodworker as I, <laughs> I call myself, uh, sometimes. And, uh, and again, we're, we're more of a lifestyle service company and with exceptional craftsmanship yeah. in wood. Nice. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So when you say environment builder, that, to me, that means all right. You're you're building a different room, maybe like specialty rooms. Is that it? Or yeah, so so we're well known in the sporting industry for our gun oh. and trophy rooms. So we have a lot of hidden rooms where we'll build out a a gun library in a hidden space or a really private space for an individual, or even uh, in a commercial application in a lodge or a retail space. We'll come in and, and, and help them display the guns properly. Uh, again, not just guns. It, can, it includes all the, the sporting accessories, but uh, a lot of Ooh. bars, themed bars, libraries, office spaces for people where they want to do more than just have some cabinetry or have it just be a part of their home. They want really an intimate space where they have things they want to, they, particular things they want to do or bring out or highlight about themselves or their, or their lifestyle. And we help them do that. So we kind of, we work with a lot of artisans throughout the country. Um, we are, we, we do very little work in Arkansas actually. So most of the, the manufacturing is here, but our teams take it out, do the installation and finish work really? all over wow. the world. Great. Uh, and so it is a, it, it is specialty. So it, it's really whatever the client's into, whatever they're looking for. Um, and if it's in, in our line of, of expertise, then we can usually help them create an environment where they get more out of it than you would say just a, a typical. So space where, what are some areas? Sorry, Zane. What are some areas where you've done some projects in the country or in the world? Uh, it'd probably be easier to say <laughs> where we haven't. Um, we're, I just got back from New Jersey where we just completed a 6,000 square foot showroom for America's oldest wow. rifle maker uh, that used to be part of the Abercrombie and Fitch Outfitter uh, out of Manhattan. And uh, they're, they're located at a place called Hudson Farm where the concept of the Appalachian Trail began. And we were able to do their brand new showroom and all the members lockers of this private club. Um, we have work in Alaska. We have work in Hawaii. Uh, we've done work in New York city. Um, there's, there's, it's right now we probably, I, I can't even think of all the places that we're, that we have projects wow. going on. Uh, a museum in New Mexico right now for a, a, a large, for a guy that owns a lot of Domino's pizzas and uh, he's He's uh, wanting to build a museum for his Dominoes. collections. 
And uh, so it's, we get some fun, exciting yeah, projects. Definitely. That is awesome. What's the weirdest one you've ever done? Oh, well, man, we've done some weird ones. So you think that people that have uh, money or affluent have naturally higher levels of living or, you know, um, we've gone into places where we've done exceptional woodwork, but it's been so dirty and gross that people were slobs and, and, um, you know, that was just such a weird environment for them to be spending that kind of money on our work, knowing that they're going to be spilling Dr. Pepper on it, you know, and, and letting a dog pee on it. You know, it was just really a, a weird deal. Um, we got to do Dick Cabela's personal house in Sydney, Nebraska. Oh, wow. uh, so we did, um, we did dozens of rooms there. We did his uh, firearm collection uh, displays. We did his wife's ceramic collection from all over the world, built her bedroom furniture uh, with a, an African theme using African woods and actual zebra hides from from hunts that they had been on the same thing with his office uh incorporated his hides into it uh that was exciting because you know in their living room they have elephants and giraffes uh the the night sky looks like south africa uh with fiber optic lights that 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 mimic the night sky there uh that was an exciting project um i love going to alaska we got to go to Alaska multiple times, but one time for a doctor, uh, surgeon, and and this guy had no idea what what really what he had been collecting over the last sixty years. Uh, so we we were able to display ancient Malaysian daggers, Chinese muskets, coat of mail, uh, crossbows, uh, boots from uh, from famous. Uh, hunters, African hunters, just such amazing collections that, that we get to see. Um, and again, it's, it's not all guns or hunting related, uh, but a lot of it, uh, a lot of our clients uh, are inclined that way. Uh, but I don't know. We've been on some, some weird ones. I'll try to think. Of another one. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> so, all right. So you're traveling all these places and you're building all these awesome spaces i'm assuming you you take your team up there your crew your guys and all of that is paid for in 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 your fee the homeowner pays for you to stay there and fly you out and all that kind of stuff yeah so our process is um we do what we can obviously through through meetings and and emails and phone calls uh but one of our team will go out meet with their team on site Take take field measurements, um, go over design details, uh, scheduling things that that kind of on site meeting, and then from there we just through project management uh, we we keep in touch with the with the contractor, uh, and then once we're ready to install, our team here will load it load up the product and then drive out, stay on site. They work seven days a week, ten to twelve hours wow. a day until the wow. project's done. Uh, so when we go on site, what a lot of times the, the, the contractor's thinking it's going to be a month install, our guys are done in, in 10 days and, and they're out of there. Uh, so we have a really good logistic uh, process uh, and procedure. But yeah, it's all, uh, you know, for the clients to pay to have us travel to come and do it, 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 it is a large expense. But when you think about it, 
you're already paying carpenters on site yeah. to do the work. Um, a lot of times, you know, they're, they're probably carpenters that, that the contractor has that he's either filling in work with a lot of things. But when our guys get there, um, we get it done and, and we end up really saving the client money in the, in the long haul, um, get them getting exactly what they want. And, uh, our team creates their own punch list when they're leaving, if there is a punch list. So we create it, uh, we get with the team and then from there it becomes our number one priority because we want that job completed. Uh, we don't, we don't like callbacks, uh, which is, it's rare that we do get callbacks, but we still are able to service those, those clients, no matter where they're at, because we have an extensive, uh, master carpenter crew throughout the United States that we draw on. So we have in-house guys that are full time, but then we recruit from all uh-huh. over the country, uh, a lot of times geographically to pull these guys in who've been on projects either with uh, somebody who's been on our crew or they've been on our crew multiple times. And then as they grow and become more familiar with our process, uh, a lot of times we've even taken some of those people outside the company and put them lead on projects. That's a great idea. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. How big is the in-house staff looking? Cool. What kind of manpower you have? We're, we're about 25 oh, people. Yeah. Big crew. Big. How big's your install crew? two to eight. Oh, wow. Most of the time, most of the time it's not more than four. Yeah. So even on the project that we did up in Andover, New Jersey for the, for Griffin and Howe, uh, it was four guys. They were there for less than three weeks. So, um, it's a, it, it, it usually is, I would say probably average of a three man crew. So how did, how did you guys morph into this type of company? Did you start off as you said, cabinet makers and then you just started doing fancy gun rooms and well, you know, that, that's a good story. Um, you know, my parents, my parents are, were born and raised in Southern California. So they were, they were San Diego kids. My dad had lived in Hawaii for a couple of years before they got married. Uh, he got sick of smog and traffic and this is 1972. Um, you know, he probably had to sit for 15 minutes on the freeway and that was enough that he says, Hey, I want out of here. And, uh, my mom convinced him to come to Arkansas because she had visited relatives here in the summer. And, you know, he of course made fun of her and said, really the Beverly Hillbillies, you know, you want to go out and and visit Arkansas. Well, instead of go up to the Northwest Pacific Northwest, where my dad was kind of inclined to go, he made a trip to Arkansas and as soon as he did, he fell in love with it and he went back to California, told everybody goodbye and, uh, and moved wow. directly to Arkansas. So he had had construction experience growing up. Uh, my grandfather did many things, but one was, was build spec homes, um, in Orange County, California for years. And, uh, so my dad knew carpentry. He knew how to build a house. Um, and, and so he started, uh, doing that in this area, but quickly he learned that, that the tourist community here or the retirees that were moving into the area because of the, uh, the recreation and lakes and, and rivers in the area, uh, they didn't want a craftsman style home. They wanted their second home or, uh, a lot of times, you know, they really didn't want, uh, to build, 
uh, an edifice of architecture, as uh, my my uncle used to always kid my dad about. And um, so anyway, he stopped building homes and started in about 1983 is when... uh, he did a project here, and, and it was the last place that he really built um, as a construction company. He, he just switched over to doing interiors, uh, called a family meeting. He had a, a three-year-old all the way up to 10, four of us, and said he was going to start a company. And we're going we're gonna to build solid wood furniture, desks, and gun cabinets, and bars for people, and... Um, but I think that we really fell into the niche that we found when um, he went to a convention called Safari Club International. And it was a game hunters convention, people from all over the world, uh, but not only game hunters and, and gun manufacturers, but furriers, jewelers, artists, uh, a lot of people. And, and they were supporting the lifestyle of these of these uh, the people who traveled for 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 fun and for entertainment. And uh, so it, he saw that they were doing things not quite right. And we really saw a need to come in to help people display their collections, whether it's guns, guitars, uh, sports trophies, whatever. Um, there was a there was a gap in the industry there. And uh, we, we applied the same thing when it came to trophy rooms. Uh, when, when somebody was a a hunter and they really didn't know um, that they were going to start to have that lifestyle be such a major part of their life. You know, they would just put anything on the wall. Um, So we started able to help them come in. uh, And not only from a construction background, uh, my dad was able to, to offer a lot of solutions, but also aesthetically we could look at things and, and help them lay it out better, better than they could see it better than, maybe an architect or um, somebody who, who wasn't familiar with that type of lifestyle. And, um, you know, that's when you, you, lighting's important, um, the substrates on the walls are important, uh, where you put your electrical and plumbing's, you know, even more crucial in spaces like that a lot of times. So uh, that's kind of where we found the niche. And uh, through our marketing and through the network, uh, it's – it's been our yeah. lifeblood, you know, it's, it's yeah. primarily how people find out about us and know and that's about really us. thinking out of outside yeah. the box, what your dad did there going to yeah. that convention, man, you'd never think <clears throat> about that. Right. And then, no, we're the only, we, we've had people, we've seen people come and go that have kind of tried to follow our model. Um, and, uh, we really don't have any competition in the field. You know, the, our biggest competitions, the builder and the brother-in-law because <laughs> the builder's got a guy, <laughs> And the brother-in-law says we can do it ourselves for half the price, you know. So those are really our only competition because nobody's really competing with what we're offering somebody. They may be good at certain right. things, but we, we, we try to put the whole package together and give them something that they can't find anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah, and the builder and the brother-in-law can't pull off what you guys pull off. No, but they promise the they're in every can, state. They can, they can a lot of time. And it's, you know, it's, it's nonstop. We always deal with that. Why are yeah. you bringing these guys from right. Arkansas all the way right. out to Wyoming or California to do yeah. this project? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it, it's funny, but we're used to it. It's great. <laughs> oh, man. 
I bet you guys are, have just been doing some stuff on Barrett Jackson at the auctions. Is that right? Well, we went to Barrett Jackson a couple times. So, yeah. you know, you think, wow, that's insane that a, a cabinet company would go to a, a car auction. Um, but they have a, they have a section at their large event in Scottsdale every year and it's a lifestyle area. It's for the people to, to do a little shopping, to see some stuff, some unique things. Uh, several people we've ran into, uh, you know, we've gotten to know over the years that have just have some really unique, uh, art and, and, and products. And so, you know, it was something that we took a risk in. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the two years we went, I wish we would have gone this year because they had record numbers. Uh, but we were looking to save some money uh, and, and not do as many trade shows. Uh, but we are we just kicked off a project in Colorado. A guy, he's not a hunter. He's uh, a, a very wealthy guy from uh, the West Coast. And he's building a family complex in Colorado. And his when he came to us he's like i see you guys do some really really cool things i just want a lot of cool stuff <laughs> in this house and that was the, and then he introduced us to his builder and his architect and they're like who the hell are these guys so um we we uh you know it took us some time to navigate that relationship but uh we finally got that kicked off and uh getting the designs going on that project. So Bear Jackson was really good for us. Yeah. I think it's a good market because uh, people need people need trophy rooms for their cars. Uh, a lot of people, mm-hmm. want, like one project we're working on right now in Texas, um, this guy owns a, a chicken wing company, uh, and he has his trophy room party house is kind of centrally located in the blueprint and then entirely around the perimeter of that are 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 glass plate glass windows where you can see all of his cars so his garage is on the outside of it so he's on the inside he's he's cooking he's enjoying his guns and his animals his part his poker poker table all that but yet he can go out and kind of look at his cars and you know he's he's surrounded himself with his passions and so we have we have been in the talks with some people from barrett jackson just on on building trophy garages for them uh and trying to incorporate that into to a a blueprint (laughs) you get to see a lot of cool spaces it's it's unreal we you know one of the things that i'm able to tell our clients is we know that you have some very private, uh, valuable things. And, and in order to do this right, you're going to have to trust us. And we're going to have to have some intimacy uh, to get to know you better, get to know what your leanings are uh, as far as, as you know, how much you want to show your, your stuff or is it more private for you? Um, but when we do that, I'm able to tell, these, tell them that my guys have seen everything. They've, they've been in the houses, they've seen all the cars, they've seen all the gold right. bars and the, the watch collections, they've seen everything. And they're, they're not, uh, not phased. It's not that they're not impressed by it, but they, but they're not overwhelmed. Like they don't, they don't, they're, they're not starstruck, yeah. I yeah. guess right. when it comes to those things. So, and they're outside contractors, they sign an NDA, they come in, they do the project and they leave. 
local guys don't really know what's going on in some of those spaces right. in the room. So there's a little bit of an advantage that way as well. Yeah, that, make, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So when a client brings you, well, once a client calls you, um, you know, let's say I'm building a, you know, badass house and I've got a, a collection of, you know, rare guitars, let's say that. And I want to show them off and I have no idea how I want to do this, but I've seen you and I've heard you on the level heads podcast. And I was like, I'm going to call Joe Julian tomorrow. So I call you, we make initial contact. You probably ask the, you know, you probably ask the usual questions, you know, what are you looking to do? You know, does this fit? What's your budget? What do you, you know, what, all that stuff, what's your schedule like? How does it get from um, that point to this is what we're building? So, so my strength is, is in getting to know the person and seeing the space uh, and, and really trying to help them articulate their desires and get it down, get it down somehow in a scope of work, uh, get it down on paper if they have a space already, um, the process would be to start to start collecting data uh, to create a, a small scope of work, and then we then we will give them a design contract from there. That will include an estimate for the for the brief scope that we've created, uh, and then they understand the timeline. They understand the timeline, and they understand the price point. So. If they they're already going to see what an estimate is on on their basically a first impression, uh, and then we're going to go through a design process to where usually it doesn't end up near the same as that first estimate, but at least they know the price point, and we we're not going to blow them out of the water after they've spent two three four thousand dollars on a design, and then all of a sudden they're like, I thought this would be twenty thousand, and it's a sixty thousand dollar bid. So we try to prep them, help them understand that um, we have a time frame. We let them know that it's going to be in the eight to 10 months, 12 to 14 month time frame. And then also once they uh, see everything, we, we explain to them if they want us to lock that date in, that we need to have uh, a design retainer. I mean, a manufacturing retainer, mm -hmm. because if not, somebody else is going to take that space so, so many times everybody's going to, oh, we're going to do this, we're going to do this, and then the project falls through. Mm -hmm. Well, um, we try to get all those things done way up front. Here's how much it's going to cost. Here's how long you're going to have to wait. And you're going to have to give us some money to secure that slot in order to meet your time frames that your builder set out for your project schedule. Yeah. So. It's I'm going in and I'm asking for a whole heck of a lot of money from them up front and a lot of trust. So once I build that trust from them, um, my team takes it, they break it down into everything. Uh, and we start we start designing uh, the floor plan first and then we do elevations. Uh, we will give suggested lighting layouts. We'll work with the electrical, the plumber to give them schematics for anything that we're going to need in the in the project. Um, and then, you know, we just, we continue to refine that scope and, and once the design is right, then we contract it and, and we move. Awesome. I imagine people are coming to you in the design phase already. Like they're with their architect or, you know. So, yeah, so we, we encourage the sooner, the better. Um, yeah. 
it's nice that they have an architect on board, a designer. It's great if they have a builder. Uh, again, for me, that's a lot of times is I'm going in and, and I, all of a sudden I have, I have a lot of barriers to break through. Uh, getting to know people and letting them know that I'm just a player on the team. Our, we're just going to come in and help make this project a success, not only for the client, but also we're going to, we're going to work w directly with, with them to make sure that, you know, we're giving them what they need from our end. So depending on, it doesn't matter when they bring it, when they bring us in, but yeah, they've already, sometimes they have a design they're not happy with. Sometimes they, I've seen gun rooms designed and people send us, you know, just to submit a bid. It usually doesn't end up that way. We usually end up redesigning and then redoing it. Uh, you know, one of the, one of the benefits of us doing what we do, we, we're, we're involved in um, talking to gun manufacturers uh, and, and developing different ways to display that are, uh, are going to give some flexibility not going to be so permanent. So we're continuing to, to do research and development all the time on the jobs we're working on. And so nobody does, nobody's doing a gun room every day. You know, yeah. a lot of contractors may get a gun room every two or three years that the client says, Hey, I got this little safe space and I want to, I don't know what I want to do with it, but I think I want guns and a, a safe in there. So, you know, so we're, we're able to really show off our expertise and show off, you know, what we've been able to do. And that really does give us some credit and, and helps make that transition smoother. But um, I like to be involved when the blueprints are are still before the final approval. Because uh, sure. a lot of times uh, in the spaces we work, the uh, it gets smaller and smaller, whether it's with mechanical or this moved or that changed and those spaces that really are not an afterthought. They're not an extra space to be used up. This is a, a primary part of a lot of these clients' lives, uh, mm. you know, whether it's where they go in and, and they get their peace of mind uh, and, and watch the ball game while they're, you know, while they're thinking about their fishing trip coming up, whatever. This is an important space. So a lot of times if I can be their advocate at the beginning, I can make sure that we don't lose six inches in the ceiling or we don't lose four feet of space due to the mechanical and whatever that's going to really change that that space for the client. So, uh, But a lot of times we'll get called and someone will say, hey, we need, we need some stuff, cabinets in 12 weeks. Can you guys uh, help design a room for us? <laughs> that's very funny. So... So, Joe, earlier I heard you mention a few times about systems and processes. And hearing you mention that, I, I take it that that's important to you. So why don't you talk a little bit about that and how maybe you've developed those systems and processes for your main business and the shoe business that we got to get into? Okay. Well, uh, you know, my dad always said that the business is us when we were growing up and, uh, and, and that always, that didn't resonate with me the way that, that maybe he intended it to. Um, what I wanted to do, especially once, once I knew that, that, um, the family, it, it's not the same family business as it started. I needed to think about longevity. I needed to think about what happens, you know, after me. Uh, and so we, we started really just putting down into SOPs 
uh, our, our standard operating procedures, um, things that were just in our heads, things that we could instantaneously teach new people, uh, and it became second nature to them. But nobody was the, the keeper of these things. And uh, so we wanted to make sure that our processes and procedures that we have worked on and developed for so many years at least got put down uh, where where we could have some standardization uh, in a in a world like ours, we're not building the same widget over and over every day. Uh, everything's new, everything's custom. It's a different wood, it's a different profile, it's a different whatever. So, so by putting down these these processes and procedures and starting to act a little bit differently than a mom and pop or that that a business that will only go as far as I go or or my brothers went, um, we want to make I want to make it sustainable and so. We had all these things in place. We just didn't formalize those. And so they've been formalized. Um, and, and we constantly work on those uh, to, to make sure that we're instilling into the, the, the new person who comes here the whys, the why nots, the how and the how tos that are bigger than, than, than this is how you sand a piece of wood or this is the procedure for this. Um, and so it's, it allows us, it allows us to give more one-on-one time with them because they already have an understanding of why they're doing something. So same thing with the road trips. Um, you know, our, our lists are exhaustive. Um, when you're, when you travel any distance to a project, especially thousands of miles away, you need to make sure that you have extra materials. You need to make sure that you have all the tools. So we have miniature shops, uh, you know, our, our, Installation team, they have the best, the best uh, uh, as far as the tools go. They organize it the best, and um, and and we make sure that we have everything that we need when we show up to that job site uh, in case something happens. And uh, for the most part, we're, we we cover ourselves, but it's just through those processes and procedures that allow us to do things differently than maybe what the standard construction industry is doing, because. Honestly, I don't like the way that a lot of things have have kind of turned into you guys are doing a different thing. But as far as the the construction trades and uh, contractors in general, we've lost a lot of our credibility or our uh, our industry's trade because it's kind of been a something your dad did or something you do if you don't go to college. And I think that that mm-hmm. there's a good trend of, of people changing that. And I don't want to do the same thing over and over again, especially if it didn't work. So we're, we're just trying to look for ways to help help protect us. But also, once we can explain it to somebody and show them how it works, and they actually take the time to put the math to it, we're, 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 we're saving them a lot of money. Uh, through these processes and procedures that we've we've created, so um, I don't know if I answered your question. I think or you not. did. I think you did. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's making sure Joe's making sure that he never gets locked inside a vault again with somebody else. Yeah. So yeah, I got locked inside a vault one time. And <laughs> it was um, it was a pretty scary deal uh, for a little bit, and. Uh, I can tell that story if you want me to. Oh yeah, you're yes. not going to stop now. <laughs> so, so, so we were in Nebraska. We went up to uh, 
this little bitty town in Nebraska, and we were putting a gun vault into a, to an old building, and I had a guy from the shop. He'd never been on the road before. He talked my ear off driving up to the job site. I mean, to the point where I had to say, Greg, stop talking. <laughs> no talking. And, uh, and, and I had an older gentleman who, who was a good carpenter with me as well. Uh, but, but wasn't, wasn't a, a veteran, uh, of our company. And, uh, so he, we're, we're working in there and, and we're on the inside, Greg and I are on the inside and I'm applying a wood panel to the back of a vault door. Uh, they, on, on the back of vault doors, they have an ugly piece of carpet. And so we always replace it with a nice piece of wood that matches the rest of the room. And I'm putting in some, some screws and they are about an eighth of an inch too long. They go past the, past the end, end of the metal. And then they, they interfere with the system that, that locks the, the vault door. I put in the very last one and I go to turn it and it, stops and then all of a sudden it slides past and it goes and it locks and I can't get it unlocked. And the tool that I was putting, I had a little Allen wrench. I was putting those screws into it, uh, was sitting right on the other side of it. And so I'm locked in here and I can't turn, I can't open the, the, the safety latch. So we're calling Fort Knox. We're doing all these crazy. I am getting, and Greg's talking over here. Like, what if we have to pee? I'm hungry. What are we going to have to eat? And I'm like, Greg, you sit in the corner and shut up. Do not talk. To me. <laughs> so we're on the phone and I finally get with the, with the, the owner. Uh, he's, he's, he's laughing. His, his builder's laughing. My guy on the outside's laughing at us. Finally, they get a, a, a tape and fish it through the ventilation system with, with some electrical tape to that, to that, uh, Allen key. And, uh, I was so close to just breaking the walnut slab door. I was about to break it to get, to get out of that room. I was in there for about two oh, and a half man. hours. And, wow. uh, it was, uh, it was a little stressful. Did you have so to pee? I do not ever want to do Did that. Did you have again. to pee? <laughs> <laughs> I did. Oh yeah, had to pee. Had to pee. And if it would have gone any longer, I mean, I would have peed in the Gatorade <laughs> bottle for sure. But the fact that it, you know that this guy was stressing me out, I was, tr you know, it there was just all these factors, and all of a sudden I get locked into it. So I am, uh, I'm the butt of a lot of that's jokes. Funny. But that's part of it. Tell the story. That's why you build an SOP for all of the situations, <laughs> right? Right. Hell not to get locked in a vault. So tell us about the moccasin yeah. company now and how. Yeah. So, so going to these trade shows. So I, I said, my dad went to these outdoor hunting trade shows back in the eighties. And Russell moccasin was going to these same trade shows. Uh, and they had a booth. My dad wanted a particular boot made for elk hunting. And so he could sneak up on elk. He didn't want to be loud. He wanted it a certain way. And uh, well, they said, well, how about you just build us a booth for the trade show? And uh, we'll give you, I'll give you and your boys a pair of boots to do that. So I'm a 15-year-old kid. Uh, and 
all of a sudden I have this pair of Russell moccasins, these, these safari boots on, and I knew they were great, but I didn't know how special. So we, we, we got these boots for uh, four straight years. We would get a new pair of boots every time we'd go set their, their trade show booth up. And, uh, so I, I see them every year. I've seen them for the last 35 years of my life. Um, and I was at a, at a, an event found out that the, uh, owner of the company just turned 92 years old and the daughter didn't want to run it and, uh, that they had been getting some interest from larger companies. And so it kind of really tugged at my heart because what I saw happen to a, a boot company called Goki they got bought by Orvis and then turned into just a, another boot. Uh, and, and the interest in Russell was going to do the same thing. You either that or take them out of the country and, and start producing boots elsewhere. So, um, long story short, a, a young, a young, uh, master leathersmith and I partnered, uh, bought this company to save it out of going out of business and save it from corporate America. And, uh, we found ourselves the owners of it shortly after after talking talking to them. And um, to me, it's the same thing as what I do. We use the very best materials. We have the best craftspeople. And we produce the product regardless of the dollar amount that it costs. And to me, it is an, an investment. Um, when, we, when we buy a tool, we want to buy the best tool. Uh, we're going to spend extra money on something that's been engineered properly, something that's going to last, something that has a warranty, those kind of things. Um, we we are starting to be this a really bad throwaway society, and even even when it comes to 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 tools, yeah. uh, to clothes, to 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 other things. So, yeah. um, th- along with the same same idea behind Julian and Sons is, you know, we want our designs to be timeless. We don't want them to be, you know, the hottest fad out there, which, you know, we, we do what the client wants. But for the most part, you know, we think that we're going to stand the test of time. We know that our work, our quality, the materials we're using, they, they're, they're going to they're going to last longer than the client can enjoy it. It's going to go. It's going to be generational. Well, yeah. when you think about a boot, um, we all have to wear boots and shoes in, in either work or play. And, uh, what happens to even a nice three or $400 boot, uh, in three years, you have to throw it away because it's blown out. It's not rebuildable or resolable. Uh, and now we have tons of leather boots, really high quality materials sitting in a landfill. Nobody can use. So when you think about a boot by Russell, our goal is to build you one boot for the rest of your life. It's going to, it's going to last you for your entire work career, your entire hunting career. You can have it resold, you can have it repaired, but this boot is built to last. And uh, yes, it's an investment. Yeah, it's going to cost more than you can buy an off-the-shelf Danner. But what you're getting is you're getting a product that's that's built to stand the test of time and not be thrown away and put into that yeah. landfill. And so we, we we kind of approach it as a conservation um effort and that's concert not not land animals and and other resources but these are man-made resources or natural resources whether it's wood leather stones uh you know certain you know metals 
whatever it is, we can apply this to everything that we do and we can be wiser about the things that we purchase. We can, we can wait a little bit longer, save a little bit more money to invest in a tool or a boot or a desk that's going to last generations. Um, or at least way past everybody else's yeah. level. Yeah, I'm checking um, out. I'm and checking so out your website. If, if I can't put, you know, if we wouldn't, if, if if it wasn't the same to me, the woodwork and the boots are really, they're so they're so so similar. Uh, and the clients, that's those are my people. I mean, the people who buy our product, the people who buy the Russell boots, the people who are out hunting and fishing, traveling all over the country uh, on job sites. You know, they're professionals. Uh, you know, and, and that's who I want to be around. I want to be around that blue collar crowd and, and working man crowd and people who, who are the thinkers and, and the, and the, the, the people out doing things. Yeah. Um, you know, we want to see our boots, the Russell Moggison boots. We want to see them on biologists. We want to see them on all the guides. We want to see them on cowboys. Um, we want to, we want to make sure that people are out using this boot there's some that are great. Some are fashionable. Some of the shoes and boots we make are, are going to, you know, going to be really nice to wear in, in certain situations. But for the most part, these are built to, to work in. Uh, and uh, so See, anyway, that's, that's the short of it. Uh, but it's a, it's really been a, uh, an interesting process trying to take something that's 125 years old and bring it at least into the, into the 20th yeah, century, yeah. <laughs> try to get it into the 21st it's, century. It's based in so. Wisconsin. So it's a Wisconsin company, huh? Yeah. It's based in Berlin, Wisconsin. So, so how did this opportunity come to you? Um, just knowing, so just knowing the family, uh, knowing the, their vice president of operations, he was at the trade show. Um, I said, I just said, Hey, how's the family? And that's, that's how it started. Uh, and you know, you don't often get the opportunity to buy a 125 year old company, no matter what and where. Uh, and immediately there was just, you know, just my, my concern was, is how do we make, how do we keep this around? How do we keep it around for another 125 years? I know I can't run it. So, um, I recruited a friend of mine who's a master leathersmith. And he owns his own company called Kingfisher Leatherworks. Uh, and he, he applies the same principles and philosophies to his work as I do and as Russell does. And so it seemed like a real natural fit. And uh, the, the biggest surprising thing about Luke, uh, my partner at Russell, is the fact that he's, he's a very young man. Uh, he's 24 years old and he's the CEO Bang. of 125 Luke. company. <laughs> yeah, good job, he's, Luke. He's yeah. a badass. Um, and, uh, and, and he started his leather company when he was 12 years wow. old. Wow. Wow. And, uh, he quit banking, uh, doing mortgage lending. He quit one month before I called him and asked him if he wanted to partner on this. Right. I'm going to go smack my kid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to smack my kid too. You know, he's, but no, it's, uh, it, it's, it's really crazy. It's, um, I, I don't even I don't even believe it's real sometimes. I mean, just how it's it's a lot of work. We are we're deep in the weeds right now. Um, we're producing some boots. We're getting some stuff out there. Uh, we have some collaborations going on. 
some YouTubers are, are, are starting to promote us and we're actually going to take a boot. We just bought last week. We bought our own boot, 125 year old pair of boots. We paid $400 wow. for it. Wow. The guy wanted 500. <laughs> so if you go to eBay, if you go to eBay, you can find our boots, whether they're five or 20 years old, they're going to be between two and $400 used wow. Wow. On, on eBay. I'm going to order some. But we're going to take this boot and we're going to cut one of these pair of boots in half and one of our brand new boots. And we're going to show people that we're still doing it the same way as it's been done for 125 awesome. years. And so we're, we're branching out into new markets. You know, uh, there's a lot of people who spend tons of time uh, and money on, on boots. And it's a whole new market that I have no idea. I love shoes. I'm a shoe whore. And, and I'll, I'll probably <laughs> But there's people out there that spend lots of money on boots and they have and they can't stop buying boots. Um, and so these podcasts and a lot of these channels are built around uh, what's the latest and greatest and who's doing what. And, you know, uh, patina Thunderdome on Stitch Down, you know, they're 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 judging the patinas on yeah. the boots, you know. Um, so we're learning a whole lot about I'm learning a whole lot about a different industry. I still feel like I have the same product and the core values of the company. Uh, but now I'm building a product that's under a thousand dollars versus most of Julian and son stuff is, you know, it goes way up, you know, so it's, we don't sell, we don't sell, we don't sell a lot of items under a thousand dollars. So it's, I'm learning a whole bit, a whole lot of uh, different viewpoints and a whole lot of people have, it's funny because we've had more people tell us what we should do with Russell um, since we've bought it than, than I've ever had anybody tell me what to do with Julian's yeah. son. So it's a, it's, it's a fierce, loyal uh, following and, and it's, it's just a really great, interesting company. If you guys have any time to watch uh, any videos or even read a little bit of the history, uh, you'll be yeah. intrigued. I'll check uh, it out for sure. We, you know, yeah. Charles Lindbergh wore Russell Moccasins on his flight, oh, wow. on his flight across That's the Atlantic. Awesome. That's uh, incredible. You know, uh, presidents wore Russell Moccasins. Uh, the first traverse of the Appalachian Trail was done 75 years ago by an Army veteran named Earl Schaefer. And he did it in a pair of Russells. And those boots are in the Smithsonian. That's awesome. That's wow. cool, man. The history just, there, there's, we're not, we haven't even touched the history of this company. We just digitized all of our, uh, all of the, catalogs all the way back to 1911 wow so we have digital digital stuff now so anyway it's been a fun project you yeah. can call yeah. it that's definitely a good have, one. have you built yeah. any boot rooms to display boots you know we have built rooms for ladies shoes so we've done closets for ladies shoes but we've never done a boot room uh our our he was the vp of operations he's now our coo this guy's got, uh, he's got over 120 pairs of Russells Ooh. because every time they needed a sample, he made it in his size. So they would use <laughs> the sample and then he would take <laughs> it home. And so, so it's, the, it's one of these days we're going to do a video and we're going to do a whole tribute on Joe's Russell Moccasin collection. He's got the largest <laughs> Russell Moccasin collection That's in the awesome. world. Uh, another thing that is, is, super intriguing that that's, you guys probably won't even believe is Russell's had a following in Japan for 
almost 60 wow. years. It's a fa- it's street fashion in Japan. So uh, at one time, at one time, they were making over a thousand boots a year and sending to to Japan. Wow. Uh, and uh, we still have Japanese. Oh, accounts. That's awesome. That's cool. So if you get into Pinterest, if you get into Pinterest and just look at some of that stuff, it's really it's so intriguing. Um, the following that that this brand has and uh so we know we have to take care of it we know we have we know we have something really special and uh we're just trying to make sure that we can keep making boots for a while before we really start to explore what the possibilities are for the company so do you think do you think the tail is going to wag the dog eventually or right now it's a tiger by the tail so we're 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 really going to try to um have we're buying new machines. There, there is a sewing machine in Russell Moccasin factory that's 140 wow. years old and still wow. operating. So we're replacing machines. Uh, we're having to train new people. We have makers in the set in their seventies. Been with Russell for 50 years. They've been making boots for 50 years. Um, so we have we have a lot of good things, but then we have a lot of things that we have to bring up to speed. And um, if 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 Five people decide to quit tomorrow. Russell Moccasin would be right. um, yeah. That's that's what we're trying to avoid, and uh, we're working on uh, bringing in new makers and stuff. But we have to. It's got to got to maintain the yeah. quality above yeah. above oh, production. You got a lot of teaching and, to do. Uh, so, yeah. yeah, definitely. That's awesome, though. I mean, that's, you're right. That's How often cool do you story. hear of a company that's that old that's still making things the same way and still? chugging along that's not in this day and age yeah, that's neat yeah hey joe we do something on every podcast and uh called this or that and uh we just ask a bunch of this or that questions and some of them are stupid and some of them are thought-provoking <laughs> most of mine are stupid so i was we, gonna say are you stupid and mike and James are, are, are more on point how do you know yeah. <laughs> all right all right, so I'm going to ask you some this or that questions. Are you ready? Go. All right. Pineapple pizza or candy corn? Candy corn. Test the waters or dive in the deep end? Dive in the deep end. Bad breath or body odor? <laughs> body odor. <laughs> Funny story or one-liner? Mm. Funny story. Yeah, I was gonna say that should be easy. I think for you, vacation or staycation? Staycation. Yep. Wine or beer? Neither. Don't drink. That's right. That, that that's right. I, I, I should have said whiskey because that's what it would be if I was drinking. <laughs> <laughs> My man. Fiction or nonfiction? Younger me, nonfiction only, but now I'll, I'll dive into a little bit of fiction. Reality shows or documentaries? Documentaries. Loud or quiet? I'm loud. Driving fast or slow? Faster. Instagram famous or infomercial famous? Ooh, that's a good one. What do I like better or what do I? I don't want to be no explaining. <laughs> There's no explaining. That's you just got to answer. Yeah, you just uh, got to do okay, it. Okay. Uh, don't overthink it. 
Infomercial famous. <laughs> <laughs> they still got those. <laughs> I can share the story. Yeah. I better not see. Uh... I grew up in the 80s, man. <laughs> Infomercial were king. I know what it's like to have to watch the shopping That's network it. or you know, all that this stuff comes stuff. on after 11 p.m. Yeah. We better not see Russell Moccasins on an infomercial. Yeah. Hey, you, you never know. know. They might go big. Uh, I mean, I, I wrote driving fast or slow because I thought about the time that you almost murdered me trying to shoot a turkey on the side of the road. <laughs> There was a turkey. It was. It was. It, oh it needed to die. It needed to die. That's hilarious. We had been we had been fly fishing on the South Holston, and I'm sitting in the back of um, a Joe's truck in the back seat, and we're driving down the road, and Joe slams on the brakes. He sees a turkey on the <laughs> side of the road. He slams on the brake, pulls in this person's driveway, and he starts to back up onto the road to turn around. There's this van barreling down just right on my side. And I just said, oh, shit. It's all over <laughs> now. That's it. This is it. Here's, I'm going to die in Joe Julian's truck while he sees a turkey on the side of the road. Yeah. Luckily, we get the Welcome to my, my wife's world. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, we had a great time. We, we fished for a couple of days on the on the river. That was a, that was a blast. We got to do yeah. that again. Joe did not get the turkey. Turkey was gone by the time Joe got back, but he did get out and look for it. And the turkey was gone. So was, my life was almost gone as well. So that's right. You have a better appreciation. That's for it. Me. You're welcome. I, you're welcome. Thank, exactly. Yeah. You're welcome. Thanks to you. Yeah. Thanks to you. Cool. You probably kissed your wife, you know, even more when you got home. So she, she's thankful too. Yeah, I think all of us kind of kind of started breathing about ten minutes later after that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nobody let me drive after that. I don't know what's up. But... Uh, cool. You want to yeah, give out? Uh, you want to uh, give all your handles out, Joe? All the every where we can find you. Yeah, all absolutely. The... Find you. Wait. What? Oh. Uh, I guess. I mean, we're just Julian and Sons on Instagram and Russell Moccasin on Instagram, and uh, same thing. Our websites pretty easy so that's great we'll, we'll share we'll share all your hey, so, hey, real quick if i want to uh, order a pair of russell moccasins go on the website put the sizes in and pick a style and all that, that yeah right yeah so you can go on and so yeah that's it so we can you there's there's stock options there's made to order options and then there's full custom very options. cool yeah. that's it and uh, but what what you want to do is you want to read a little bit about the size. The sizing is going to be run large. So if if you're a typical our right. our ten, runs you're large. probably going to be at nine or nine and a half in a gotcha. Russell. So if if you've heard of a Munson last, which is which is a, a a wider toe box last that a lot of these new running and hiking shoes are built on, like ultras and things. Mm-hmm. Uh, they call it a Munson last because it's it's a wider toe box. Well, the Russell Moccasins got the same built-out toe box, so you have a lot more space for your foot. The biggest the biggest uh, problem with people that they get the wrong size boots um, is it's from the it's it needs to be from the from the center of the laces to your heel has got to be snug so you don't get a lot of slippage. So in a moccasin. 
it's a it's you want it snug you don't want it tight where it hurts but you want it snug because it's going to loosen and start conforming yeah. to your foot because what you have is a vamp of leather that completely encircles your foot um and in a double vamp you'll have multiple layers and so there's no way number one it's it's a waterproof stitch at the toe um but also there's 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 no way for your for your side to blow out uh because it's not a stitch down to the sole Got it. the bottom of the boots not it's it's actually round very features, cool so. yeah definitely checking so, them out yeah um go under there and check it out if you got any questions i will yeah thanks joe right that's great joe nice to meet you thanks yeah nice to meet you too man, man. It was, yeah it was i love so your great. stories and i could get yeah. you on again because I, yeah. I have a feeling you're the head of sales. most interesting man in the world right here yeah. No, I can. I, I definitely can talk a lot. So that's not a problem. <laughs> I want, but I want the next one. I want to be live in on the little red next time. Come up fishing. to the little red. We could do it. We could do it in the shop or the little yeah, red. Done. Um, yeah. Or we or we take a road trip and go up to Berlin, Wisconsin, and go check out a boot factory and go fish That'd up cool. there. Boom. Oh, live yeah. podcast. Make so, it happen. Yeah. I mean, that's the cool thing about what I do. I get to travel yeah. a whole lot. You know, we're yeah. always, I'm going to Canada next month. And, uh, one project I didn't tell you guys about is, uh, in Malaysia. I leave for Malaysia in the middle oh, of July. Nice. How do you, how are you going to get all the stuff there? How are you going to get all your, we're going to put it in, in intermodal containers, yeah. um, here. So we load what we do. Like when we go to Alaska or we've shipped stuff to UAE or South Africa, we put it in a container, uh, we load it here and then we meet it, we meet it at the job site and we unloaded ourselves. So we'll send it by rail, boat, truck, whatever. And, uh, and then inside will be a crate with all our tools in it. Once we get done with the tools, you got a hand, you got a hand, uh, hand screw the uh, lid back on it and ship it and fly home. So, uh, but Malaysia is going to be cool. It's going to be, uh, we're going to be remodeling the the palace ballroom. That's awesome, man. Yeah. That's cool. That's another story. Maybe that's another story. Maybe off camera, how we, how we got. <laughs> did you get, did you get that one off Angie's list or something like that? Yeah. yeah. I, you really would not believe me if I told right. you that's the cliffhanger. How, that's the cliffhanger. How it actually worked. Tune in next time when Joe tells us how he sells up Malaysia. <laughs> Yeah. I want to do, uh, I want to do Julian and Sons goes to Malaysia, kind of like the Beatles coming to America, <laughs> dress up, all kinds of cool videos and stuff. But I probably won't get to do that. Well, it's so, did, I'd watch it. That's for sure. <laughs> Thanks for coming on, Joe. Yeah, listen, it was awesome. Well, nice to hey, meet nice you guys. Man. Sorry, you guys have to work with Sam. That's all right. We're getting used to. Thanks, Sam. Later, everybody. Jamie's Not turn. It. Jamie's turn. Not it. Not it. You guys are so good at it. <laughs> Fuck you. That's how he gets <laughs> everyone to work. You guys are good at it. <laughs>